Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Sri Shivananda. Sri is the Senior Vice President and Chief Technology Officer of PayPal, a Fortune 500 online payments company with revenues of roughly $17 billion annually. In this role, Sri is responsible for creating delightful customer experiences using technology. Prior to joining PayPal, Sri was the Vice President of Global Platform and Infrastructure at eBay. In this interview, we discuss Sri's purview as CTO and his three main priorities in the role. We discuss aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic, such as PayPal's response, how the company has seen significant growth throughout it, and how it's resulted in an acceleration of digital payments. Lastly, we discuss Sri's experience serving on the board of a public company, why he believes payments as a known activity will begin to disappear, and a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Peter, you keep calling us an unusual enterprise software company. I think we should talk about that a bit. Yes, we have not borrowed a single dollar from a VC or a bank and ended up bootstrapping our way to multi-billion dollar SaaS business with over 60 million enterprise users. That itself is unusual for a tech company. But the principles that have kept us from accepting VC term sheets are simple. We believe all our employees should have good night's sleep each night, be it month-end, quarter-end, or year-end. To enable this principle, we have stayed private and have not dipped into public money. We don't believe in debt and discourage anyone from getting in one. A good night's sleep has its premium. Yes, we believe in good night's sleep and eating healthy foods. That's why we leave money on the table. It comes from our principle of eating healthy food. Just because there is food on the table, we don't believe it's healthy to eat it all. Therefore, any product we market, be it CRM, Sign, Helpdesk, and 100 others, these will be many multiples cheaper than our nearest competitor. And it comes from the principle of leaving money on the table. Find out more about our unusual enterprise company at Zoho.com. Thanks, Timothy. I also wanted to share a quick message from our sponsor, Sykes. Sykes is a leading provider of multi-channel demand generation and customer engagement services, helping Global 2000 companies enhance touch points at every stage of the customer journey. To share some perspectives, I'll briefly turn it over to Ian Barkin, the company's chief strategy and marketing officer. Customers don't want and don't deserve a new normal. They deserve and want a better normal. At Sykes, we know this because we spend over 3 billion minutes a year listening to and serving customers of the world's leading brands. And with that much listening, you can't help but know what delights, what infuriates, and what drives customer behaviors and decisions. So what is a better normal? We believe it's the delivery of a truly intelligent customer experience. The call to action has never been clearer for CIOs, CTOs, and the broader C-suite. New is not enough, and the time for tinkering has passed. The winning combination of technology, talent, and customer insight is how to create intelligent customer experiences, and a truly 
better normal. To read more about intelligent customer experiences, check out sykes.com forward slash ICX. Thanks, Ian. And now on to our interview. Well, Sri Shivananda, welcome to Technovation. It's great to see you today. Thank you for having me, Peter. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Well, uh, Sri, for the past four and a half years of the roughly five plus years that you've been with PayPal, you've been the chief technology officer of the organization and CTO is defined differently in different organizations. I wonder if you could take a moment and provide the definition as it applies to you and your company. Absolutely. So chief technology officer at PayPal, there are a few things that I'm accountable for. One is to make sure that technology is something that we can leverage to create delightful customer experiences as a company. Technology is an enabler, it's a means to the end. But finally, it's all about building great experiences for the customers, uh, solving a real problem that they have, and making sure that you create an experience where people are engaged and they keep coming back uh, for more from from the service as well. The second most important thing is to make sure that you you bridge business value uh, with, with technology that you're creating and solving a customer problem that you're actually creating value at the end. This is not for just for the sake of building systems and architectures and so on, but it's about solving true business problems and therefore creating true business value in terms of outcomes. And now comes the real T part, which is uh, going from being a business leader in the company that is a technology specialist that applies technology to everything that the company does and taking uh, the landscape of technology, understanding it, figuring out what's relevant, taking into consideration the technology landscape that exists within the company and create creating a roadmap. As you can imagine, any company of our size is a puzzle piece of about 500 different pieces of technology. Not all of that can evolve at the same pace. And choices that you made in the past may no longer be relevant. So you need to continuously innovate and modernize tech. And while doing so, build for certain things that we think of as non-functional requirements, as in things that people don't ask for, but you need to provide for. Priority number one is security. Because we are in the business of trust, we have to build secure experiences. Priority number two is making sure that the service that you build is scalable and reliable. It's robust. Priority number three is like to make sure that there is velocity within the organization to take great ideas that come from connecting with the customers and designing new experiences and getting that out there in front of the customer, experimenting with it and and so on. So that's about managing the technology roadmap itself and doing it so for business value and customers. And finally, it comes down to uh, building a great culture internally for technologists, a place where technologists from anywhere can come in, become a part of the productive community of engineers within the company quickly, express themselves through those customer products and services that they're building, and then over time, build their career, learn through this process, create an experience that will be there long after they may be done with the role but doing it in a way that satisfies them, that engages them, that inspires them, and allows them to grow as well. So all in all, it is customer, business, technology roadmaps, and culture, and doing this all in a way that it's, it's brilliant, it's excellent. And as you know, excellence is a habit 
So it takes day-to-day conversations, day-to-day rituals, day-to-day approaches to keep that going and keep the engineering community at the company thriving. It's a great overview, Sri. Thank you so much. Um, I want to uh, return to the customer point, which was a thread through a couple of your responses there. Uh, you began with delightful customer experiences and solving real problems for them. Talk a little bit about, especially, you know, we're, we're living in a time, and we'll probably get a, a little bit deeper into the details of this, you know, trying time, very interesting experiment that's been forced upon all of us and working virtually and, and operating in very different ways than we did at the beginning of this year. Um, but part of that has been, um, you know, facilitating digital interactions and digital commerce to a much greater extent than than even in the past. Even though that segment was um, was already increasing, obviously it's exploded in light of the current circumstances. How do you think about um, delivering "quote unquote" delightful customer experiences, and how is that evolving uh, from your perspective? Yeah, let me actually first start uh, with just the. Um uh, portion of uh, creating great digital experiences, one that delight. And that starts with uh, us being a customer champion company, being in front of our customers, listening to them wherever they may be in any part of the world, in any context they're in, any income strata they may be in, any digital access paradigm they may be in, and understanding what their needs are and sometimes listening beyond what they're saying to truly understand their needs bringing that back in from that discovery process and iterating internally to create great product. No product is built overnight. And you need to start with a hypothesis, build something, put it out there, allow users to play with it, learn through the signals that you're receiving and continue to incorporate more and more changes through internal creativity, but also through customer input. And when you put great delightful experiences out there, one is you know that you're solving a customer's problem, not just because you're seeing the volumes on on your side, but your customers actually tell you very clearly through net promoter scores and and such. Now, in a time like this, what we've found uh, is that uh, the relevance of our products and our relevance to our customers is bigger than ever. Um, Cash has become something that people don't want to deal with anymore. And we are finding ourselves in in growing relevance and growing importance to the customers. And that is a responsibility that we take very deeply. And while we've seen some amazing growth in the business, what we have found is our business has been incredibly resilient in this process. And it has emboldened us to actually accelerate our journey in certain areas particularly in, in, in the case of in-person digital payments and so on. We, are, we had our strongest quarter ever um, in Q2 of this year. And uh, we are now uh, seeing a shift where while digitization, like you said, has existed for a long time, there's a bit of a step function growth that's occurring during the pandemic. Uh, we are now at 346 million active accounts around the world. Um, And uh, we just, this last quarter, we exceeded $200 billion uh, in uh, uh, total payment volume. Um, All across the board, uh, it's great growth. And what we're seeing is it's not just commerce. It's not just people buying things because they're home and they need to, of course, continue to, to sustain. But there's also a lot of digital kindness that's happening in terms of giving, 
Uh, it's not just the pandemic we are dealing with. We're dealing with so many other things. And people want to help in the best way possible. And the platform is getting used for commerce, but also for kindness. What a great story that is. I really uh, appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, I know that you've thought, and, and your, your answer even alludes to that, but talk about the evolution of digital payments. As you point out, uh, many people now are, are going away from cash for obvious reasons. There are less in-person transactions, even when there is an in-person transaction, there's a desire to touch less things between each other and so on. And so it's so much of the trend now is towards digital payments. Talk a bit about where you see that evolving and, and no doubt that evolution is happening even faster than you would have potentially, you know, predicted at the end of last year in light of what's been going on. Absolutely. Uh, the best way to think of it is, uh, in some ways, to understand the future of what's going to happen with digital payments. It's important to understand a bit of the history of payments itself. And everything, of course, started thousands of years ago with barter, probably millions of ago, years ago with barter, um, exchanging goods of value for uh, uh, one thing for the other. And then there was the emergence of currencies first through metal coins and things of that nature. In fact, if you go back to the oldest coins, you'll see a piece cut from there with somebody owed lesser value than the value of the real coin. Um, then you saw the emergence of currency notes uh, and these, these notes became a medium of exchange uh, as well. In the 50s, we saw the beginnings of uh, the credit cards um, and credit cards have now existed for about seven decades. And now what we are beginning to see with the ubiquity of mobile experiences uh, is digital payments, where you are not dealing with anything physical whatsoever. And while digital payments has been a paradigm that we as a company started um, in the 90s itself, and we have now been a two-decade-old company, what we see is continued acceleration. Any kind of a transformation that happens in the world is generational. It takes a few generations for it to, for it to occur. But then there are uh, triggers and situations that push the adoption further and by a step function sometimes. This happened in the 80s, where the first ATMs, uh, when they came out, most of them were not actually visited the moment they were installed. And then there was a large blizzard, and that blizzard shut down the banks. And the only place that you could actually withdraw cash was an ATM. And ATMs all of a sudden became much, much more popular. And to some extent, that is what's happening with COVID-19 and digital payments. Those that may be reluctant to actually use digital methods are now beginning to consider it and use it more and more. And this is happening across the board. It's happening across the geographic scope of the world. It's happening across the segments of population, segments of income strata. Because nobody wants to deal with a physical thing anymore because that by itself is a carrier of a virus or a bacteria. So given that we, we are seeing uh, an already uh, existing trajectory accelerate even further and more and more acceptance, not just by consumers, but also by merchants. And you know, you've probably heard people talk about this. Businesses follow consumers. The moment consumers start to adopt and accept something, that's when the hockey stick curve starts. But we are seeing basically a second hockey stick during COVID-19. I want to return to another thing that you mentioned, which is you want to enable um, a velocity, I'm quoting you, I believe, velocity to take great ideas 
uh, in connection with with customers and getting them in front of them faster. Uh, and I wonder what are some of the what are some of the means of creating greater velocity? What are some of the processes that you have implemented? What are some of the technologies that you're leveraging in order to improve that velocity? Let me actually start with the process portion of how creativity occurs at the company. Um, As I mentioned, as a customer champion company, we are out there in the field talking to the customers and understanding directly from them what they want. And that input is the most potent input in the process. Bringing all of that in and uh, synthesizing that and creating a backlog of features and experience we want to build is the first step in what we call the product development lifecycle. The subset of the product development lifecycle is something that we call the software development lifecycle, which is about taking those things and building one thing at a time, getting it out in front of the customer, experimenting, finding how they're engaging with it, tweaking it a little bit at a time and making it even better. Uh, We strongly believe that for our engineers, we want our engineers actually to be artists, not mechanics. And what I mean by that is they shouldn't be bogged down by the systems through which they create code, build code, test code and release code. They should be focusing more on the ideas that they want to get out into the market. So what we've done is internally within the company, We've created a mechanism where the underlying aspects of managing that code flow is something that we have fully automated and made self-service. So now when an engineer wants to roll out a feature to the customer, they can do it entirely on their own from the beginning to the end. It's got checks and balances. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have checks and balances. There are quality checks and balances. There are Uh, compliance checks and balances that that are in place. And once they pass all those through automated tests, they can get the feature out in front of the customer as fast as possible. We have more than 100 software releases that happen in a single day. And that's huge velocity. And as we get it in front of the customer, what we want to do is to make sure it really works. So we have signals built into these experiences that tell us how our customers are engaging, how many of them are finishing the action that they're, uh, they started with the intent for. And using those signals, we figure out which variation of the experience is the winner. So not only is it about velocity, but it's also about a system of meritocracy. And that allows us to be our best, go fast, but build the best as well. Which then gets uh, into the theme you talked about of, of pursuing excellence and making that a habit. I really like that idea that it requires these rituals, as you described. It requires repeating this and pr- presumably validating um, this pursuit and, and, and perhaps calling attention to it, shining a light on excellence as it appears and, and rewarding it accordingly and making that a real cultural attribute. I see the connection point between those now uh, a bit better. Yeah, exactly, Peter. I think uh, uh, excellence is a habit. Um, and, and like we talked about before, it's about repetition. Yep. Uh, and, and the repetition happens because what the engineers see on the other side is something that they built being used by millions of users around the world. Just imagine the satisfaction and the, the inspiration that an engineer gets when they build something and it's now making a bit of an impact all across the globe, 200 markets, 100 different currencies. 
Yeah, remarkable, remarkable. Um, I want to return to, we, we've talked about the fact that uh, as we do this interview together, we're in the throes of the pandemic, of course, and and the economic uh, consequences of that among a variety of, of um, uh, trying aspects to what's going on in the world right now. Um, I wonder, what are some of the, we've talked about the um, associated growth that's happened in digital payments, uh, understandably, and for the reasons that you articulated so well. I'm wondering as a business, how are you thinking about the indelible marks this is going to create on an organization like PayPal? For example, we're, we're each taking this, uh, this conversation from our homes. We probably would not be uh, under normal circumstances. Presumably many of the, your team members are also working out of their homes as well. And so the, the topic of the future of work and where work takes place is something that is certainly on the, the minds of a lot of executives and a lot of employees as well. So I, I offer that as one of the areas that I know is of, uh, of, of great discussion across a lot of organizations, though don't necessarily want to limit your answers to that. What are some of those sort of major marks that you see um, on a business like PayPal as a result of all that's transpired in the past six or seven months? Let me start a little broader and, and just say that uh, COVID-19 as a pandemic has disrupted the world in a significant way. Um, if anyone had mentioned to us that this would be how we'd be uh, working, living, uh, and uh, uh, continuing to thrive as a community now in February, none of us would have believed it. And yet here we are, um, like almost uh, six months in, um, and there's been disruptions of livelihoods, uh, there's uh, disruption all across the world, uh, and so on. But this is uh, the great thing about us as a human race. We are incredibly resilient, and we find a way. We find a way together. And we've seen that the first thing that happened um, and I'll take two perspectives. Uh, one was the world perspective, which was that disruption caused a sudden stop, not even a pause, but a sudden stop in so many things that were considered normal. And during that time, what we saw on the platform was just an incredible growth in people saying, what can I do? How can I help? How can I actually make life better for people who are more affected than I am? And, and that is where like, we, we literally saw the growth in digital kindness going to a new peak, particularly in the March and April timeframe. I'll take a second perspective, which was employees. When, when this first kicked in, we decided, you know, we'll go entirely remote. And we've been a digitally native company for a long time. We've had remote working for a while, but the whole company has never worked from home remotely. And here we are in the second week of March saying, everybody is going to be remote. And you have to take 30,000 people. And uh, one of the roles of a CTO is making sure that all the people in the company are now uh, not at the offices that you built for work, but they're at their homes, which are mostly for the sake of them living with their families. And you're trying to turn, the, turn that into a productive workspace. Uh, there were a few people within the company who were not remote enabled before, particularly our customer support agents. And within a span of two weeks to three weeks, we had to make our entire uh, workforce productive to start with. And then uh, if you take that further, um, we are a company that 
uh, values the trust with our customers. And we think of that as one of the main things that we are in the business of, which means for us, information security and how everything is managed is extremely critical. It is in technology for PayPal, priority number one. And now all of a sudden, uh, the network perimeter of the company was no longer in the offices alone. It was now in everybody's home around the world. And we also started to realize that the new network perimeter is not even a physical space like a home. It's actually our people. And uh, the cyber threat landscape continues to evolve. COVID-19 is something that the cyber criminals are leveraging to continue to further their businesses. And uh, we, had a, we had amazing uh, uh, security controls before, but we took into stock this new reality and made sure that we had uh, built to a level of um, satisfaction all the controls that were required for this. So first is make everyone productive. Second is secure everybody wherever they're working from and protect them, protect our customers, protect the company, and protect the world as a whole from a security perspective. Um, and then uh, we uh, focused on productivity and making sure that everybody, now that they are they're home, uh, they're secure, uh, what we've seen is code velocity has actually increased a bit. Uh, build velocity has increased, release velocity has increased. At the same time, we started to notice that we are now seeing the beginnings of the effects of everyone being remote. So uh, mental health was an important part of the conversation. Us as a C-staff started to do a stand-up every single day in the beginning of COVID-19. First talking about our employees and talking about various different topics related to COVID-19, but eventually getting to the point where we were talking about, okay, you know what? Yes, it's a crisis but there's a trend here. How do we go on the offensive as a company in terms of our strategy as well? So last but not the least, it was about figuring out how do we as a company go on the offensive and be bolder in our aspirations given the opportunity that is presenting to us and leverage that to help the world better, but also continue to grow the business more and build even more relevant experiences in this new, new paradigm. So, so many different things, and it is still a journey that's evolving. We have not seen all of it. We have not learned all of it. And um, on the one hand, uh, you, you take all the disruption that's happening around you. You feel empathy. You feel sympathy. You want to help the best way possible. On the other hand, you see the opportunity, and you want to uh, definitely leverage and capitalize on that as well. I wanted to also ask you, you're a board member. You're on the board of a company called F5 Networks uh, and have been since April. So you, you joined a board uh, during the course of the, the pandemic, uh, an unusual time to, to do so. Uh, I'm curious about that experience uh, of, of being a board member, obviously very different from your current role, being in a, you know, an operator, an internal uh, person. Now you're you know, an advisor, an influencer as, as, a, as a board member will be during a uh, you know, most unusual time. And as I say, during a time when presumably at least you've not been able to get together as an entire board team. Talk a bit about the dynamics of that, if you would. Yeah, they, uh, my, my interview process actually started in January. So fortunately, I get to, got to meet the whole management team and the board uh, before the pandemic hit. 
but I've been uh, in a few board meetings so far, a few board conversations, and all of that has been remote or video conferencing. Um, and uh, I think uh, all companies have certain foundational things that they're looking at in a very similar way. Um, and uh, uh, the uh, Francois, who is the F5 Network CEO, uh, is an amazing leader. Um, and he has put people at the center of everything. Um, just like Dan Schulman, who is the PayPal CEO, he's done exactly the same. Um, and that is the that is the main thing about the pandemic is um, you first have to look at all things people, employees, customers, and so on. Connect with them more than you've ever done. Communicate with them more than you've ever done, and so on. Um, so coming back to the FI board itself, uh, I would say the conversation uh, at the board there is not very different than the conversation we are having uh, here at PayPal. Um, safety and well-being of employees, um, serving the customers uh, the best we can and even more in these times. Um, and of course, um, safety and security and, and so on. So I, I wouldn't say that it's um, any different except for the fact that it's all virtual, it's all digital, it's all happening over video conferences, um, uh, including uh, my onboarding, which is uh, happening over uh, video conferences and, and, and so on. Very interesting. Well, I also wanted to, um, you know, as you look to the future and beyond the pandemic itself as well, um, we've talked about a number of trends already germane to the things that you're working on and things you're planning uh, within PayPal. Are there other uh, trends that particularly excite you as you look out to the future? Peter, I would say uh, in terms of trends and digitization, I think one is the fact that there's an acceleration in the journey on digitization. Um, Number two, there is uh, now the merge of online and offline. Um, there are various places that we conduct payments. Uh, online continues to grow, but offline is still uh, a big uh, place where payments happen and the majority of payments actually happen offline. Um, offline going digital is the next uh, hurdle and challenge and opportunity. And uh, that would mean in terms of touchless pay, payments, QR codes, and so on. And you've probably seen announcements from PayPal around our launch of QR codes around the world. Um, I would take that even further and say contextual commerce is going to begin to happen in more places than we've seen in the past. With uh, Internet of Things, devices that are around us will actually become uh, a, a channel for commerce too, whether it may be your smart speaker, uh, or a smart refrigerator or, or whatever it may be. Actually, your car, uh, which is now a server on wheels, uh, can actually be a location of commerce. Now, these are not uh, the best devices onto which you can do traditional inputs through a keyboard or a mouse and so on. So you still have to interact with these devices. So uh, making payments seamless. For the longest time, payment has been a frictional, act, frictional activity at the end of a purchase. And the reason is uh, because we would all go into stores, we'd put things into a basket, we'd bring it to a checkout counter, we'd pay there with cash card or some other means. And even when we went online, that is the first approach we took. We just replicated what happened in the store. What's to say that's the best experience? In fact, it's not, we know. Um, we know through the evolution of new uh, design patterns and, and experiences like 
the one that I am uh, beginning to call ambient payments. When you take a ride share uh, these days, when do you pay? I would argue that you don't. You express the intent for a ride. When the ride is done, the payment automatically happens in the background. And, and that is going to become the norm. In fact, you probably see it already with subscriptions and so on. Most of us probably have more subscriptions than we want, which is why it's important to do spring cleaning of subscriptions once in a while. And, and that, that level of digitization and payments going into the background is going to occur more and more. And, and as that happens, uh, payments will become easier. Not only is cash disappearing, uh, cards are disappearing too. And I believe that someday payments as a known activity will begin to disappear as well. It goes into the background. Very interesting. Well, uh, Sri Shivananda, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thank you for a great conversation and overview of, of leadership during this uh, most unusual time and many exciting things that you that are afoot uh, within PayPal. We really, I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for having me on the show today. And I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me for our 500th episode on Thursday, when my guest will be David Rubenstein, the co-founder and co-executive chairman of the Carlyle Group.